You're listening to Pocket Politics, the podcast from Voting Smarter. Voting Smarter is a nonprofit making civic engagement easy for everyone in a fair, fast, and fun way. Be sure to check out Vote Plus, our browser extension found in the Chrome Store, to see if the companies you shop at online share your values. Also, check out Candidate, our dating app for elections found in the Apple App Store. To see which candidates running in your area you should bring home to mom on election day and who you should leave on red. Today's podcast is a departure from our normal unbiased coverage of public policy and elections. We will be discussing news and public policy proposals from the highly varied political perspectives of our diverse team of volunteers. Enjoy. Welcome everybody to Pocket Politics, the podcast from Voting Smarter. Tonight, we've got an elite panel of our employees coming at you from many different political perspectives. We're going to talk to you about some of the stories of the day that we think are important since we were last together, and we hope you enjoy what we have. Andrew, uh, our resident libertarian, is going to give you sort of a breakdown of what we've seen in the news that, that might be important to you and what we're going to talk about tonight. Andrew, take it away. Thank you very much, Terry. Well, hello, everybody. Got some great, exciting topics right here. I'm going to start off with the uh, situation happening over in uh, Russia and Ukraine right, right, right now. So what's going on uh, over there to give everybody a quick rundown? So uh, NATO, uh, NATO allies have uh, been fearing a ground invasion by uh, Ru- Russian troops to either take over or install a pro-Russian government in into the country. Uh, the, really, the idea is what, what what we think Putin's trying to do is really trying to find a way to restore the uh, old former glory, uh, so Soviet Union, and try to keep NATO as far away from his uh, borders as he possibly can. Uh, from there, we're going to be talking about what re- uh, some big news that recently happened here in the states. Uh, Justice Breyer. Uh, retiring and President Biden, and of course, jumping right right on top of that, hasn't nominated anybody yet, but we may have a few ideas with him committing to uh, nominate the first uh, Black female Supreme Court justice. And then we also have another uh, uh, news regarding the Supreme Court and affirmative action in in, uh, college um, admissions. Uh, The court will be taking lawsuits claiming that uh, Harvard University and the University of uh, North Carolina uh, discriminate against uh, Asian American uh, students and a- applicants. Um, there we go. That's just a quick breakdown of the story, and can't wait to talk, uh, have the discussion. Terry, thanks, Andrew. So, uh, if this is your first time listening, uh, thanks for joining us. If you're returning, I'm not sure what's wrong with you, but thanks. Uh, so tonight uh, or today, whenever you're listening to this. Uh, you're going to hear from many of our employees. Uh, you have myself, the CEO. Uh, I consider myself sort of a, a conservative libertarian uh, or a libertarian conservative. Um, we've got uh, Andrew, who you've heard from already, who is a actual libertarian um, and would chastise me for taking his name in vain, probably with my political bend. Uh, we have uh, Sean. Uh, Sean, if you could say hello and tell us where you got where you stand on the issues. Uh, hi, everyone. And uh, where I stand in all the issues is I'm I come at most things from a left leaning and progressive ideology. Awesome. Thanks, Sean. 
And uh, you're out here with me in California. All the way across the country, we've got Ben just outside our nation's capital. Uh, ben, introduce yourself, please. How's it going, guys? Uh, I've been a researcher. I started as a research intern at Voting Smarter about, I'd say, almost exactly a year ago to the day. Uh, and since then, I've moved on to be a member of the podcast here. Uh, I generally come from a Republican point of view, a moderate Republican point of view on uh, political issues. I'm excited to get into a discussion tonight uh, with the rest of the panel here. Thanks, Ben. And we also have Isaac coming at you uh, as well. You're in SoCal, like Sean and I. Um, last time mm -hmm. last time we heard mm -hmm. from Isaac, he was coming from the road, eastbound and down. Uh, Isaac, please introduce yourself. Uh, okay. Well, then, nice to meet you. Well, nice to see everybody again. Uh, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And uh, I'm left of the, usually left of the left. I try to be as far out there as possible. I'm trying to imagine what's, what's what's possible in terms of lefty land. So that's kind of where I lean um, and where I land. Nice. Nice. I like that. Lefty land. I like that. I like it. Well, I mean, we are in California. So uh, last time we talked about universal health care. Um, tonight, we're going to talk about some of the pressing issues we've seen. Uh, as Andrew said, uh, we think what's happening in the Ukraine uh, or not happening, depending upon uh, yet, uh, is, is really uh, important and interesting. And we're going to discuss the United States role, sort of what's going on. Um, we'll, we'll start there and then we'll move on to some of the stuff in front of the Supreme Court, whether it's who's going to be sitting on the court by the end of the Biden administration and, uh, you know, the, the most recent cases about affirmative action. So, Andrew did a great job sort of telling us Putin's got a bunch of troops on the border, right? They took Crimea in the past. Um, Ukraine is a, is a very strategic interest because of its access to uh, ports, as well as the, the pipeline, I believe, runs through it. Um, it was a member of the former Soviet Union. Putin is described by many scholars as longing to reunite those Soviet satellites back into the former glory of the USSR. And while that made the Olympics exciting, that's probably not good for the world. Uh, and, and so let's, let's see, we'll start with Andrew, given that we've, we've mentioned that you're a libertarian a couple of times, I, it's probably easy for me to guess what you think the U.S. should do should Russia invade Ukraine. But why don't you tell us? Sure, sure. So, so, so the, unfor the fortunate thing is, you know, there's what I should think is going to happen, and there's what actually is going to happen. You know, if I, you know, if I were in charge, I would say, do nothing. I mean, it's not our business. You know, why should American teenagers die for, you know, uh, Ukraine, Ukraine's business? I mean, I for some reason. You know, we talk about in this country how our troops fight for our freedom. What freedom? I don't, as far, I'm sorry, I don't think Russia's a threat to my freedom. I don't know how my free, my freedoms got over there. Um, unfortunately, you know, we do, we do live in a situation where we have treaties, we have organizations such, such as NATO, and, you know, you got you to you honor those. If it were me in charge, and I had the opportunity to 
make decisions as I, as I would, and this is gonna sound, I know, very radical. I'd close the bases. I'll tell my European allies we're done. I'll sell the materials and I'll start bringing every single one of our troops back. The only troops I'll have left in foreign countries is the one guarding our embassies and that's it and call it a day and have a, a, a foreign policy similar to the Swiss. And that's where I stand. Tangent alert, let's talk NATO. Should NATO exist? So by what Andrew said, he'd close all of our foreign bases and he would decrease America's military footprint in the world. One of the big sticking points for Vladimir Putin, uh, per his own words as to why he is potentially invading the Ukraine is their potential membership in NATO. For those of you who don't know, NATO is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It was formed after World War II when we saw the world sort of organizing, trying to prevent further conflict. Um, and so we made this, uh, I think it's Article 5, if you get invaded, we'll all come to your aid. Um, and so as it stands right now, Ukraine and many other former Soviet states are not members of NATO. If they were members of NATO, it would mean with America and Canada and uh, Great Britain and France, Germany as being members of NATO, if he were to try and expand his footprint to those former Soviet states, he would be fighting all of us. So um, he would not have Crimea today had Ukraine already been admitted into NATO. So uh, it's hard to argue, uh, and Andrew might make an eloquent point that NATO's always been bad, but it's hard to argue that it didn't serve us pretty well during the Cold War. Uh, but is it still relevant today? Who wants to jump in and defend the existence of NATO? Anybody? Are we ready to call it a day? Um, Isaac here, I'm gonna jump, I'm gonna, I'll jump in, but it's not because I like NATO necessarily. I think there's a lot of gridlock. I don't necessarily know. I don't necessarily think a lot of things get done. However, I do think that we, on an international stage, we need these kinds of spaces where people can, where countries can um, talk about the issues or, or at least pontificate about the issues. And because with, if without an avenue to be able to say those things on like an international stage, I do think that there's, there are going to be issues where people ultimately say, okay, well, like I got a back channel with these people, I got to work with these folks. But at least with an international stage, you've got place, a place to call one another out and a place to work, big air quotes, work things out. Um, but I, I think that it's necessary. Hands for those of you at, at home listening, just, just so you know. Um, but yeah, and also I do I do think that there is some good in the um, in the aid that they send out um, from time to time and, and when they're allowed to um, for humanitarian needs. And so for those reasons, I think that NATO is a good thing. I don't necessarily think that they're the most productive, but would I like to see them gone? No, not necessarily. Interesting. Yeah, certainly I believe America invoked Article 5 after 9-11 and NATO countries came to our aid in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, the, and, and certainly it has been a, 
uh, a building block to peace in Europe post-World War II. We haven't seen war in Europe. Europe was sort of the hotbed of wars, right? They could not get their stuff together, whether it was Ferdinand getting killed in Sarajevo or Hitler going batshit, right? And so uh, it did It did keep peace there. It very well led to the European Union, right? NATO was sort of a building block to reducing the barriers between these European states and, and likely played some role in the formation of the, of the EU. Um, ben, what's your take on NATO? Is it, is it time to dissolve? Is it time to reform? Is it good as it is? Uh, does Russia pose the same threat? What do you think? Um, NATO can exist, however, it wants absent the uneven amount of funding that's given from the United States. So if we scaled it back, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but clearly we are the biggest contributors to uh, an organization that primarily works in areas of the world that do not affect us at all. Uh, and I think that's a very neocon, neoliberal point of view, uh, which I'm not too sure NATO was, was the late 1940s, early 1950s when it came into existence, right? It's a, it's a byproduct of a, of a bygone era of the Cold War, uh, you know, when we were facing a serious threat, or at least we thought we were facing a serious threat of uh, total, you know, the domino effect of a communist takeover and eventually, you know, the loss of, of all capitalist free market societies in the world. Uh, but we're well past that point, right? We, we have more of a globalized society now. We know that there's going to be no, you know, world domination in the same sense of ground troops rolling into places across the world and 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 taking over like there could have been in, in the 1950s and the 1960s. Uh, so I think, you know, if NATO to put a bow on it, if NATO wants to exist, or if the member countries of NATO want to keep into existence, that's fine. But there shouldn't really be any United States funding for it because we don't benefit from it at all. Yeah, certainly when when the USSR existed and had what appeared to be military might, and and in many respects it did. Certainly from an IBCM or ICBM count, um, they were like the buffer zone between us and the Soviets, and so it made sense that we could get them to be our allies. It was this whole East versus West, this whole capitalism versus communism sort of thing. Um, I do think it's interesting. And, and, you know, let me make my point after we go to Sean. Uh, Sean, what about you? NATO or HATO? I personally also don't see the need for NATO anymore. I mean, like we basically created NATO back in the day in the Cold War to stop Russian imperialism with our own imperialism. And like, I don't see the point in that anymore. Like, I do not want to keep being involved in situations that have no effect on my life and only have a negative effect on the people involved's life. Like, I, I would see an invasion to Ukraine pretty much just ending up the exact same thing is Afghanistan or Iraq where we're there for 10 or 20 years and 
we lose a couple thousand troops, spend a couple trillion dollars, kill hundreds of thousands of civilians, and then we just leave the region and we just leave the region worse off. And then Russia just gains anyway. I don't even see like any benefit for Russia taking over Ukraine. I mean, it seems like NATO and the U.S. is acting like it's pretty much a surefire thing that Putin will invade and just immediately take over Ukraine. But, I mean, we don't play a game of risk where you just have overwhelming forces, like you just automatically conquer it. Uh, People have talked about, like, Ukraine is not an easy country to invade or conquer. Uh, Like a lot of countries, it's split between the east and west. There's a very large river between those two. And it's a very mountainous country. And Ukraine is not, unlike a lot of other countries that have been involved, Ukraine's not inept in their military presence. And I don't think, even if Russia throws all their forces, I don't think it would be a very easy thing. I mean, eventually they probably would conquer it or invade and win, but that would be a very long and arduous battle that I don't think Russia has either like the money or like the power to do. I mean, mainly Putin's just doing this to try and like flex the last of his power he has. He wants to like reestablish like Soviet dominance of the past, but uh, the Russia of today is not the Russia of yesteryear. And this is basically like the last, like, obviously it's, it's scary to think about. Like, I don't want, I don't want any of these countries to be invaded. I don't want like, uh, the last thing I would want would be an actual hot conflict with Russia. I see like no benefits in that, but I don't think NATO is the only thing stopping that. I think there are better ways to do it other than just outright like war or just escalation. Like I would rather like fix this as diplomatically as I can. Well, you, you, the scenario you paint, similar to Afghanistan, I think is the best case scenario if we got into a conflict, right? There was no backer of Afghanistan with nuclear ICBMs on the truck driving around Siberia, right? There, or have with on, on, on submarines. So absolutely, I think that the, the picture you paint is not unlikely. Um, but it's almost the best case scenario if we were to commit troops to Ukraine. Um, so before we talk about committing our own troops to Ukraine, let's, let's button up this NATO conversation. And I, I have two takeaways from what all of you said. Uh, and, and your arguments were reasoned. They were interesting and thoughtful. Um, I would like to point out that four years ago, then rookie president Donald Trump spoke incredibly similarly about NATO and was called insane. (gasps) NATO, you can't mess with NATO, right? And now people who maybe voted for Trump and people who would have never voted for Trump are saying the exact same thing about NATO. So did Trump change our minds? Was he right all along? Interesting thought to have, okay? Um, 
I agree um, that Russia is not the, the threat it was in 46 or 56 or 66 or even 76. Uh, and I think NATO, you know, Isaac brought up the point is we need, we need these avenues for bilateral and multilateral conversations. I thought that's what the UN was for. Um, and I wish that was a more functional international organization as well. I, I hear what Ben says about the money. And it brings me back to the founding principles of voting smarter, right? Follow the money. That's why we're building Vote Plus so you can shop your values. Because NATO exists and persists because Lockheed Martin and Boeing make money, right? Eisenhower was right. The military industrial complex is real. Lastly, I would concede that NATO's role is diminished. So it is kind of silly that we're even talking about including Ukraine if it's going to pop off a hot war. Um, and I would much rather see the money, the political capital, and uh, the exposure, the effort being put forth onto the PTO, not the parent-teacher organization, but the Pacific Treaty Organization. Because there's a much scarier communist country than the USSR probably ever was. Uh, and it's called China. They've got missiles that can take out our aircraft carriers. They've got some advanced weaponry and cyber tactics that can really mess us up. They're building forward bases in waters that are not theirs. Taiwan, I think, is in real peril. As much peril as the Ukraine in the next 48 months. And so I would love to see Japan and Korea and Australia and the Philippines and Thailand and Vietnam and all these Asian nations surrounding the Pacific, the nations of Oceania in the Pacific, and those of us who border the Pacific in North and South America form a treaty alliance to stop Chinese aggression. All right, so it, does anybody want to tell me I'm crazy or sign on to my idea? Or do we want to move on to actual American involvement in Ukraine? You, you know, Carrie, I, I guess I'll, 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 I, will, I, will say, I will say this. When it comes to Russia or even China, for that matter, I mean, those are really the... I'm going to say something pretty radical, but I feel like those are really one of the two only countries in the world that can defend themselves from American aggression, right? Um, you know, at least at least off the top of my head. And I feel like they do a lot of these things that they do because, I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, let's be fair here. America has its own history of imperialism and stuff, and these countries feel like they're defending themselves or preparing to defend themselves in the way in, in what they do. They have a lot, we have a lot more military bases around the world than they do. We have a stronger military than they do. And we have a, 
as a mil more military presence than, than they do. And on, honestly, what, what they're doing is not right, right? When Russia invaded Afghanistan in the 80s, it was wrong. And when we did it, it was wrong too. Imperialism is wrong regardless of who does it. However, oh, we, hold on, sorry, I gotta disagree there. We didn't invade Afghanistan to rule it like Russia did. We on. did it to, to find Al-Qaeda. And there was, I think there was other, way, other ways we could, we could have done that, but hang on. Yeah, Kevin. we should have firebombed the poppy fields. I mean, like, I'm with you. Let me, hang on, hang on a minute. Let me, let me, let me get this, let me get this thought through here. So yeah, where was I? So you go through peace, you let people, you know, be alone, you'll be fine. I mean, I'll use my example of Vietnam. War with them, massive war, napalm everywhere. Now we trade with them. It's like nothing ever happened. And it's peace. I mean, is anyone here really here advocating that we should go back to the days before Vietnam where we were trying to control them and constantly have war? But don't you think you know, that my argument for the PTO is exactly because of Vietnam? We weren't fighting Hanoi. We were fighting Beijing. We were fighting communist aggression from a more popular state through Vietnam. Vietnam is still communist. Yes. Yes, it is. But it's not, it hasn't invaded Laos or Cambodia. And it, and it, it does have a sticky relationship with China. So I, I think that, again, we're not in the existential threat between communism as an ideology and democracy and capitalism as an ideology that we were sold in the 50s. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, but I do think China has aims on expanding its reach more so than Vladimir Putin's Russia. And that we need to be ready for that and be a lot, you know, allies with democracies autocracies and communist states that don't want to be controlled by China. But I look, I, I completely understand your reservations and I wish I could agree with you. I wish that if we just kept to ourselves, the world would be okay. I, I wish you were right. Um, but look at our own our own cities and towns, right? When people are, you know, people are left to their own designs, things go sideways. And then you inject even higher Gini coefficients, abject poverty, you know, in these other places and, and you get a lot more volatility. And so, um, yeah, I, I, worry, I worry more about China than I do Russia. Um, certainly from an economics perspective, but more so even from a military perspective. So that so if we're going to have an ocean treaty, I want it to be the Pacific and not the North Atlantic. Um, as far as American troops being involved in Ukraine, um, what do you guys think? I mean, I, based on your responses, I'm going to say, Andrew's a hell no. Sean's a hell no. Ben's a, what, a no on American troops on the ground? Um, do I want them there? 
Yeah. No, I don't want them there, but uh, I think Biden's about to walk into a, a, a blunder that will benefit Republicans politically. So having troops there, no, but will putting them there benefit the Republican Party? Because I think Joe Biden's in a bad place right now. It's poll numbers. Uh, and the Democratic Party itself is in a bad place. I think he's going to, I think he's going to make a desperate decision here. Uh, I don't know about a full-fledged, you know, fighting force, but I think he's caught in a bit of a catch-22 here because the left and, and Democrats spent more or less five years building up Russia as this boogeyman, uh, as, as a way to undermine of Donald Trump's presidency, right? So they had to build Russia up as this, and Vladimir Putin in particular, as this threat to democracy across the globe, right? He needs to be curtailed. And they talked all this, all this, uh, you know, tough talk about how Donald Trump was his puppet and he was letting Vladimir Putin get away with whatever he wanted. Uh, and, you know, obviously they knew that Russia is not the biggest foreign threat, right? They should know it's China. At least they should know that. I assume they do, uh, but they chose to anyway to make Russia as you know the ultimate kind of foreign threat across the globe. Well, now that you know Mr. Magoo from Delaware is in the Oval Office, uh, things were supposed to be different. We were supposed to have you know Putin wasn't going to mess around because he knew Joe was on the case and and Joe would you know take him out back and rough him up if anything happened, right? Uh, so I think Can't Joe Biden Hunter work this out. Like Hunter knows a bunch of people over there. Can't he just sort of put the squash on this? Burisma? Well, again, you know, what would have happened if uh, Donald Trump talked about invading a country or sending ground troops to a country where his son had significant business interests in? You know, that's a whole nother discussion uh, for a different podcast, I assume. But yeah, what do we think? Do we give Trump credit for not starting any other wars or is that just a, ah, he got lucky? I mean, you know what my answer is, but yeah, it's a yes. Yes, Isaac, as not as a Trump skeptic, to probably put it mildly, um, does he deserve? Well, based on your, I'm left of left, right? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I just want, I just want to welcome you back, left of left. If you keep going left, eventually you'll go make a circle, and come back over to to the right. Uh, I was but, actually gonna say, like, I kind of he didn't start a war, and I don't, I don't give him credit for that. But he didn't start a war. I thought he was going to when he took out that general. Um, I could have sworn he was gonna start suffering. Yeah. Yes, I, I was very, I was, I was worried. But, You're a draft um, age, so I'd be worried yeah. too. But if I could I'm, ask, I'm a draft dodger. That, that's what I would have did. Um, me too, man. <laughs> but, but then, what's up? What, what were you going to say? Yeah. Yeah. So, why? what was your reasoning behind thinking he was going to start a war? Was it because there was an election coming up and he was in, you know, a questionable spot as to his standing in that election? No, no. More so that um, I think that the United States misunderstands them. I think we misunderstand an agreement in other countries that we like have fought in the past, Iran being one of them. Um, and I think that, I think that, um, that murdering some, I think that that assassination would have, I thought that it would have gone the other way and that the US base that we had on the ground or the US troops that we had on the ground would have gotten 
um, more prolonged pushback um, from the locals such that it would have it may have gotten armed um, like it could have been an armed confrontation back and forth but not not so much on Trump I, I think very little of his attention span enough to be able to like on a consistent basis push for push for a war or push for push for that um, but like that that like the gears of war are like massive and I, I don't understand that the United States is a, we're deeply entrenched in, in the violent history, but like I don't necessarily think that Donald Trump wanted a more a war more than anybody else, especially with his promises to get troops out of a number of places. But I thought that Iran was going to push back a little bit more than than what they did. So no, not on Trump or more on Iran. But I'm again Americans misunderstanding countries that we've been in. Yeah, I, I think both of your points are really interesting in that um, Ben believes that politics is going to drive us towards conflict. And you could argue that's happened several times in our past, right? Um, if we look at you know, the, the bombings during the Clinton administration, during the Lewinsky scandal, uh, if you look at different different moments in our history, politics and elections have determined um, conflict. And I think, I think if you ask most people, I think 60% of people would have said if Donald Trump thought it would help him to go to war, he'd go to war. And whether they're right or wrong, I'm not agreeing or disagreeing with them, but he didn't go to war and, and I, I do, think that that's one of his biggest achievements. It's sad that that's an achievement of a president. Um, but it's interesting um, to, to think about if we, if we concede to each other that the military industrial complex is real, doesn't his whole like, this is a hoax, they're all out to get me, seem more real, right? If he's the guy trying to say, hey, come home, no more wars, right? He's bad for business. And so when no, you, when you mess with the IC, you get screwed. Sean, go ahead. Very funny because he never pulled out of Afghanistan. He said he would, but he didn't do it. And the same with, I agreed with Isaac when he iterated. We're extremely lucky that we didn't go to war with Iran. We did assassinate a top leader of their country. We also killed a <clears throat> we also killed a couple of civilians in that airstrike as well. And we were extremely lucky that when Iran retaliated, they fucked up so bad that they shot down a commercial airliner. So then it created international controversy in there. But that only happened because we assassinated Soleimani. And, and obviously, and then John Bolton retired about a week later in disgrace, who is a notorious chicken hawk who has talked extensively how he wanted to always start his own war. Yeah. So we were just extremely lucky that Donald Trump's presidency was just extremely incompetent in everything they did, including trying to start a war. Ben, but I would not give him the benefit of not starting a war. Ben, you're next... But every week, I am so much in love with how much Sean and Andrew agree. 
right? When one's on the super right and one's on the super left, like it makes me so happy. Well, we are, you know, anyway, uh, Ben, you, you, you wanted to say something there. Yeah, I'm trying just to reconcile how two, these two things can exist at the same time, that Donald Trump is a wannabe tin pot dictator who had no regard for the norms of democracy or, you know, the well-being of his people only for his own selfish interest. And there was no rating him in, no ability to control his impulses uh, and how, you know, we luckily didn't go to war. If the latter is true and he has no regard for any kind of, of foreign policy or, or democratic norms, then he absolutely could have started a war with Iran, you know, even post or not even just Iran. It could have been anyone. But, but post Soleimani assassination, what was holding them back from from doing a ground invasion? Right. If he really doesn't care, if he really acts like a wannabe dictator or authoritarian, if he's a, a Vladimir Putin light, as some people like to point to uh, pinpoint him as. You know, why wasn't he doing what Putin does right now and, and, and massing troops on the border of some foreign country? So, I, you know, I really try to reconcile how. Because he's just that came. dumb. He's just extremely <laughs> dumb. We're just lucky Donald Trump was dumb. But he <laughs> tried to overthrow the election. All you he's so dumb. Order, he had Rudy right? Giuliani lead the charge. Well, from, that's a, that's from, a separate. Uh, that's a landscaping issue. company. I mean, that, that's a, that's a, that's a obviously a different issue, but. What I'm saying here is if he really had, you know, no regard for any kind of, of congressional oversight or anything like that, it's not even a matter of being dumb. You're the commander in chief. All you have to do is pick up the phone and you can start a war if you really want to. Right. So, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to reconcile how it could exist that he is, is a wannabe authoritarian yet didn't start a single armed conflict anywhere. In fact, you know, net overall decreased the amount of, of foreign military presence we have you know, in his four years in office. What are you talking about? He's, he's, that. That makes sense. Insurrection, Ben. I'm just, I'm just being. Yeah, ben, I mean, I think it makes sense for him to, to not do that externally in the country, but to foment that kind of energy inside of the country. The things that he said about like police being able to take certain actions with, with civilians and protesters, um, deploying them on his own behalf to be able to go see some church, which is a novel incident. I'm like, I grant you, granted, but um, still not going to war and not fomenting an authoritarian, would be lefty, like an authoritarian vibe domestically where he has a little bit more, um, a little bit more reach. And I, I think that those two things can be reconciled. Not starting a war doesn't, not starting a war doesn't, not make you an authoritarian in your like proclivities or like your in your affinities with political political habits um i don't think one is exclusive to the other i don't it's not like you have to start a war to be an authoritarian um but it, it you can start an award a war and be an authoritarian like like not all squares not no squares or rectangles other way Rectangle. Yes, thank you. Rectangles are squares, but not squares aren't rectangles. Right. Yeah. yeah. So. Oh, Terry, I may. Right. Yeah, and, that, and I'm, I guess I'll work. And then I'm gonna put a pin in this. We're gonna keep going, Andrew. Right. Yeah, just a couple mm -hmm. things to agree with here, Ben. Ben, as 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 it can shine. You know, he he didn't start a war, and I you know, and I do applaud him for that, for not for not for not starting a war. However. I am in a belief that a lot of U.S. presidents are war criminals, and 
I'm no, I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. And I think he is too. However, compared to the presidents we've had recently, whether that be President Obama, President Bush, and Clinton for that matter, he is probably the least violent one compared to the presidents we, we've had in, in recent times. Doesn't mean I still don't believe he should sit in front of the ICC and, and answer for th- things that he's done. But he <laughs> but out of all, but of, out of everything we've had, he has probably been one of the most peaceful presidents, and that's not saying much uh, we, within recent within a you know a, a, re, a recent time. And Isaac, to go on to go on your point, uh, you know, wars and in, in dictators, yeah, they don't really start a lot of wars. I think at least internationally, but they sure try to do it um, uh, domestically, right? I mean, I think you bring up a great point with the what he what Trump was doing with with this police force. I mean maybe make it a little bit more extreme. Let's take Assad, right, over, over in Syria. Don't really hear from him, you know, invading, invading foreign countries, but he sure hell as hell has a big civil war in his, in his country right now, does he not? Um, so I think that is a, I would say that's a trend a lot of, a lot of dictators, a lot of authoritarians. When, so, when, given, when, given the, when given the opportunity, they will try to do war in their own country, but not necessarily outside. You were on a roll so, for a so Outsourcing the violence makes it a democracy. Well, you were on a roll for a minute, but Assad didn't start the civil war. It was people trying to out overthrow his authoritarian rule. Um, but I will say that authoritarians uh, don't necessarily start wars. That's interesting. No, they in the, in the past they've started civil wars to get power. Yep. Right. But. Yep. Trump already had power. So Ben's point is to keep power, you start a war and you declare martial law. You start a war and you foment nationalism, nationalism. like Adolf, and you keep your power, you grow your power, you seize power. So maybe, maybe, maybe Trump would have done that, right? Maybe the left was right. And we're actually really lucky that our military went all you know, wet noodle and was anti-Trump because it stopped him. Uh, but I don't think the evidence is, is there. Let's stop talking about Trump because although we only have one or two listeners, he's probably one of them. He's very excited we're talking about him even though he's not in office. Um, let's talk, speaking of Trump, let's talk Supreme Court, Right. Uh, Trump got three nominees, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, and Coney Barrett, right? And so uh, the, the landscape of the court has skewed more, much more to the right as of late. With uh, Justice Breyer's retirement announced by someone other than Justice Breyer, poor guy. Um, the... Uh, it's sort of like when my wife goes on my dating profiles and like, oh no, this guy's off the market. It's like, honey, that wasn't your yours to say. I, I don't have any dating profiles. I'm a Luddite. Uh, is Ashley Madison a dating? Okay. So sponsor of this pod. No, I don't even know. So the it's good because she doesn't listen. The idea that uh, the court, right, we have this this retirement of Justice Breyer, who is um, on the left, 
we have a left-leaning president with a razor-thin left majority in the Senate. Uh, the filibuster no longer applies for judicial nominees. So what we have here is um, we can maintain the status quo. Is anybody here a court expert, right? Is Breyer, my understanding is Breyer's more center left than far left, but would that care, would anyone disagree with that characterization? Breyer is John Roberts to Democrats that, or Breyer is to Democrats, but John Roberts is a Republican. He's a, I mean, he's liberal in nature, right? But at, during the polarized period we're in now, he is certainly not uh, to the criteria of, of the tribal nature of the left. So, okay. I, I, you know, I, I would I would say if, if Sean, you know, has paid attention to any of his rulings, I, I don't think Sean would be a huge fan of, or Isaac, for that matter, would be a huge fan of uh, Stephen Breyer's ruling because he, he tends to look for compromise over uh, Sotomayor and... Oh, yeah, he tends to look for compromise over Sotomayor and uh, Kagan, who almost always vote, uh, they fall on the left side of, of the ruling. To be honest with you, I'm, a, I'm actually a Briar fan. Um, I'm actually a Briar fan, but that's mostly because um, I think- Briar Rose or Stephen Briar? Um, the one on the court. The oh, one okay, on the court. okay. That, that one, that one, that one. Um, but I'm, I'm mostly a fan because of his approach to Albeit an even hand, a left a left side leaning hand, and the left side even hand. Um, but where he, I think his quote is uh, something to the effect of like, "This is a very big country. There are a lot of opinions, um, and the Supreme Court's job is to figure out a way to like rule in a way that allows us all to live harm, like somewhat in harmony." Um, Shouldn't it just so, read the, the the black and white law and be like, "This is illegal" or "This is legal," like? Does it matter if we have one person or 300 million? Isn't the court's job to be like, oh, blah, 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 blah. Oh, that means this. That's a different conversation. Yeah, that's a different conversation. I'm that's, sorry. That's, that's a different I've been point, drinking bourbon this whole time. My bad. <laughs> we need a sponsor. If you make bourbon and you listen, hit us up. So, Isaac, um, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to be really interested to follow you through time and see, because a lot of the positions you take and your, your penchant for liking mm -hmm. even-handedness and reason, um, I find in conflict with your characterization that I'm on the left of left. And so I'll be interested to see that as you accrue wealth, which you and your giant intellect undoubtedly will uh, over the next few years, if maybe your perspective changes a bit. I, I'll be interested to follow that. Um, fair, fair, fair. So- I, I don't know, I, I take it, I want to be even handed in that I don't want to become a liberal authoritarian. I, I wouldn't want, I, the same way I wouldn't want a, white, a right leaning like authoritarian, the, like a religious theocratic state uh, that would be autocratic. I, I don't want it to be liberal in a, in a similar sense where it's like, get, it's either get down with the get down or like get the hell out. Um, that's not a country and, and it doesn't necessarily embody some of the fundamental uh, 
principles I think are in the United States are like, you should have a freedom of opinion, freedom of association, freedom of religion. Like those things mean that sometimes we may come into conflict with each other in terms of culture and beliefs. And so I, I would like, I, I want an even hand despite my, my own affinities for a left, a left, like lefty land being most of the country, being mm -hmm. more or less most of the country. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, again, I think, um, you know, there's from the right, right? Because that's my mental model. We view, say, socialism as the, you know, in the Soviet model. Whereas I think on the left, the common view of socialism is more democratic socialism of Scandinavia. And so um, it's interesting to, to, to hear your perspective and I appreciate it. So when it comes to the court, um, and this actually, let's talk the politics of this for briefly. And then let's talk about Joe's assertion that the next justice will be a female uh, African-American woman. And that'll tie actually quite well into our next topic, affirmative action. So what do we think the politics of this is? Is this gonna mobilize the left base and they're gonna keep the Senate? Is this gonna be decided before the election? What do you guys think? I think if you're using the last two Supreme Court nominations on uh, the subsequent process as a point of reference, it'll be quite boring. Uh, there's really nothing that, you know, Mitch and the boys can do to, to stop this nominee from going through, unless, of course, uh, you get someone like Manchin or Cinema coming out and saying they're going to vote against it, but there's no reason for that. Uh, it is funny that, you know, not even a week ago, they were being cast off as the uh, the traitors to democracy, and now all of a sudden, their you know their two votes are really important again, and they're back in everyone's good graces. But what I think personally, you'll see is there's really no legitimate chance that you'll you'll have a a Democrat leaving. So I think you'll even get some of the the uh, you know the quote unquote adults in the room how they like to portray themselves on the, the Republican Grams side and the Mike Lee. I don't think Lindsey Graham is full red meat nah, uh, yeah. base now. Oh, but that's new Lindsey. You're right. Yeah, You're new right. Lindsey, but Romney, uh, Murkowski, Susan Collins. So I think you'll see, you know, some of them. So you're talking maybe 53, 54 votes. So it'll actually be somewhat very bipartisan, actually, compared to the last couple nomination processes, what? because there's really no, it's not a consequential seat. Uh, right. It's a liberal replacing a liberal. And right. Uh, you know, I don't think there's, certainly from the Republican side, I don't think they want to risk mobilizing uh, a big Democratic turnout based off of a, a held hostage Supreme Court seat, but they don't really have the legislative uh, le leverage to do that anyway. So I think it's going to be relatively boring. Ben, being inside the machine a bit, right, working inside Republican politics right now, um, don't you think it behooves people like Mike Lee, Ted Cruz, and Mitch McConnell to vote for the the nominee if they're not, you know, if 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 it's not someone crazy, right? Um, because 
their argument all along has been, look, the Senate's job is to make sure that the nominee, there's no corruption uh, and, and that the, the nominee to the court, it has a good legal fundamental view, right? We don't have to agree with your judicial philosophy. The president has his or her right to appoint who they want, uh, but the Senate's job is to make sure that it's not someone batshit crazy or on the payroll or, or something like that. Um, so, I mean, to me, I would think, or, or do you think that it, it does such a disservice to them with their base and their elections that they got to go, uh, no, I'm voting no, this, this person, you know, isn't going to overturn Roe v. Wade or, or whatever they think. Can you hold your phone up for a second? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. To the camera. All right, yeah. I was checking to make sure you weren't in 2005. So we're, <laughs> we're good. You got to... <laughs> I mean, you know, we're at the stage of the French Revolution now. I forget what it was called, but it's you know they're hunting down the uh, the the base is hunting down the the bourgeoisie and the you know, the uh, royal loyalists. So anyone who's not coming out flame throwing and whoever the nominee is, if they're not you know anyone who's not calling them a a radical left uh, you know activist and trying to discredit that that judge. Uh, you know, they're they're going to be hunted down by a good portion of the base. So there's no political capital to it, really, because you're not going to stop the nomination. Now, if we were talking about, let's say, those two Senate races and Georgia went the other way, and now it was 52, 48 Republicans, and they actually could maybe, you know, I mean, I don't think they'd ever be able to keep it for two and a half years or whatever until the presidential election, but it would be a, a different calculus. Uh, but right now, it'll be good to fundraise off of just to throw out you know insert name here is a is a socialist judge who will you know overturn every major ruling we've had and, and turn our country into a socialist hellhole it'll be good for fundraising right with the base but it there's there's no political uh, capital to to coming out and supporting this nominee if you're if you're mitch mcconnell or, or whoever someone mitch mcconnell especially because he's already a bit under siege so yeah, there, there's no, there's no benefit. Yeah. So I'm definitely Pollyannish about bipartisanship and people keeping their word and doing that sort of stuff. Um, despite all the times uh, I've been slapped in the face with reality by our elected officials. Um, is there anybody here that was somewhat pro Biden? Um, I can only think of Isaac. Uh, and I don't know if Isaac was provided. Nope, nope. I'm getting a hard no eyeballs. Um, I mean, Biden told us he was going to be this guy. I'm just one of you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and be bipartisan. I'm gonna try and be sort of a moderate. Clearly, the agenda he's pushed, as viewed from the right, has been far from moderate. But doesn't it behoove him to find? a consensus nominee? Like, couldn't that be a huge political win for Biden? Or does he keep having to lean into his core base, which isn't his base, right? Neither Sean nor Isaac liked him, right? He's in this denial relationship that the far left of his party likes him, so he better do what they say if, if that's his calculus. 
Because I would think that it would be another Breyer, right? A logical, reasoned member of the left that he would appoint to the court. But again, am I just being this wide-eyed optimist? Am I anybody anybody think I have something, or y'all think, oh God, keep dreaming, man? Honestly, I think you should pick. I think you should pick a Briar, and it's a perfect opportunity to stack the court. But I do think that he should pick a. Now, also, this is the other thing. I think he's tied. I, I think all this conversation is great, but I think he's tied his hands a little bit when it comes down to like picking a black, like a black woman. Um, the, the what about Candace the Owens? Most, Candace Owens is a black woman. The the two that are the most reputable that are likely in the running, they do not have hit like they are they are definitely left to Briar. So he might have tied his hands already. Um, but the history of like Senate picks is usually that they're not, except for this last one, except for the, a lot, like these last, maybe two. Yeah, these last, yeah, three. Um, the, the, except for the ones, uh, the, except excluding Donald Trump's appointees. Oh, no, I no, no. Of, and Sotomayor are, we're not in the center, brother. I'm, no, I'm not saying, I'm not, I didn't say center. Okay, sorry. I didn't I just, say okay. center. Okay. I, I didn't say center. What I was going to say is that, to my knowledge, a lot of the history of like, um, Supreme Court justice like confirmation actually they're, they're kind of bipartisan like they they kind of are mm-hmm. in which case like they need to be because they I think everybody understands they go well beyond the like day-to-day partisan politics that like some of us participate in but like some of them are a little bit more bipartisan than others but like I think I think that Joe Biden has already tied his hands in picking up like a black woman. I, the, the two that are the most reputable are already left to Breyer. So unless he's hoping to like get them to wear a promise ring that they're going to act just like Breyer, isn't that the, like this isn't going to, it's not going to work out that, that we're just going to be able to plug and play somebody else that's like there, just there, like them. There can't be that few. And if there is, I'm sorry for assuming there isn't, but there can't be that few African-American <laughs> women on appellate courts nationwide. Reputable ones that like- There's gotta be 20? No. God, that's so frightening that it's not even, oh, okay. Can we just delete in, in post, guys? We need to delete what I just said. Um, Cause it sounded pretty stupid. The, um, okay. What okay, let's 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 get stupid. Let's talk the Kamala rumor. Right? Mm. If you were Joe Biden, would you nominate Kamala Harris to the Supreme Court to get it out your house? No, no they've already no, no, no. She's no. already been through everything. Like there's no reason to there's no reason for that. Um, like, you know she can't win. You know she can't win in a couple years. I mean, he's going to run with her in a couple of years. That's the trick. He's already said that he's going to run with her in a couple of years. He said he's so a least- too, Isaac. I mean, he, you know, like the dude is not running again. From, I, he I said it a couple of times again. he is. I, I honestly, I think he, I think he will. But I, I, wouldn't, be surprised if he, I wouldn't be surprised if he's primaried by actually somebody a little serious. He only, he only run if Donald Trump runs again. That's 
That's oh. just like, I mean, it's Groundhog Day, and like, you know, we try to avoid Donald Trump because he's not the incumbent, but for all intents and purposes, he is because he's freezing the field on actually both sides of, of the political spectrum, both parties. Mm-hmm. But if, if Ron DeSantis, a uh, 40, you know, early 40s, Harvard, Ball, Yale undergrad, or vice versa, I forget what it is, Navy JAG lawyer gets on a debate stage with Joe Biden for three times for two hours. Like Joe Biden doesn't want to do that, right? He'd rather just ride into the sunset because he knows he's going to get his his butt kicked in that election. But if mm-hmm. you have, you know, in a, a spray tan guy coming up from Mar-a-Lago who Joe Biden already has has beat once, you know, it won't. Wait, be wait, great. wait! That's not true. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. But I mean, it's it's entirely dependent. I mean, this is getting a little bit away from the Supreme Court topic, yeah. but it's in, entirely dependent on what Donald Trump does. He, I mean, he is absolutely still sitting in Mar-a-Lago, teeing off and 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 freezing the entire political spectrum. So that's we won't know what Joe Biden's doing until we know what what Donald Trump is doing. If Joe, you know, barring some kind of uh, medical thing, which I don't think for either of them is out of the question, but We'll see. So it's dependent on Trump. Okay. Wow. Well, okay. So I think we've explored this pretty well. Let's talk about one more thing tonight, also related to the Supreme Court. Uh, And let's tie it together with Joe Biden's assertion during the campaign that he would choose an African-American woman for the court. I've, I've been seeing uh, recently on LinkedIn, I've been seeing women post pictures of themselves next to the characters of Encanto, the Disney film, saying, wow, it's so great that I'm represented. I've never seen a Disney character like me. And representation clearly matters to many people. Um, and we all know that Justice Thomas doesn't count because he's an Uncle Tom. And so do we need, like, is it the right thing to do to say, I'm going to pick somebody based on their race, whether it's for the Supreme Court or to get into Harvard? Terry, I'll, I'll, I'll kick this one off. Yeah, here. you step on this landmine before I do. Oh, I, I'll trust me, I will. You know, that's such a, such a, you know, big, big question. Cause you got, you got two different schools of thought here, right? You have people, I mean, again, I'm a, you know, biracial person, but of course I'm way passing my mother being Dominican. So 50% Dominican, 50% American. Got my mother's looks, my father's skin color. And, you know, when you just say the terms, are you picked, you know, picked just for your race? And to be honest, to, at, least, at least to me, right. I would consider that a very demeaning you know, t- t- uh, you know, t- uh, type of thing. You know, I live in one of the whitest states in the country, right? And if I ran, you know, for office or, you know, Governor Sununu nominated me for some office and the only reason why he did it is because, oh, he, he wants some Hispanic or mixed um, representation in the state, that would kind of bother me. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I would rather be picked because of my qualifications, right? Not because I'm 50% Hispanic. So from a, 
Um, and, and same thing with the, with the affirmative action. When I was going to, when I was going to school, yeah, I put down, I was a mixed race, uh, mixed race person. I hope that the school I went to picked me because of my qualifications, because of the paper I wrote, because of my grades, because of my GP and all that. And not because I was a half white, half Hispanic person going, going to school. I hope, I hope that was it because I'm a lot more than, than, my race and then my ethnicity. So I think that, you know, the catch 22 of this that Joe Biden has already screwed up this whole process by, by making this uh, guarantee or making this promise is he's already raised this doubt that the person he's picking is not because of her qualifications, it's because of her race and her, her gender, right? If you were gonna, and listen, We'll never know for sure if he's picking the person that he thinks is most qualified or if he's doing it based off of different criteria. And I think that's the mistake he made is coming out and saying that, right? I mean, you know, we all know there's a little bit of politics involved in all of these things. And yes, yep. the, Afri uh, the African-American woman is a very huge Democratic voting block. And so it makes sense that he would give them, you know, a nod here by, by nominating a, a, a woman of color. But what he's already done, his big mistake was to just come right out and say that. And so, I mean, he's the one he he's he's the one that's raising this issue himself uh, just by saying that. Right. Had he not come out and, and made that promise and, and, you know, made that public guarantee that it would be a woman of color, uh, there'd be, you know, a lot less questions as to whether he's just picking someone based off of race and gender or whether he's picking the most qualified. But now that he has, you know put this out there, of course, it's going to raise the question. You know, Ben, I think you, you raise an interesting point. And it's, it's different than getting into a university, um, right, where you're one of 10,000 people. And it might be 100% on your merits, Andrew, or it might be a mix of your merits and your race. But it's easy to sort of excel or not excel and, 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 but if you are the only African-American woman on, the, uh, on a team of nine, right? And it was said, well, you're gonna, we're gonna pick somebody from this shorter list. That's gonna follow, you're absolutely right. That's gonna follow her, her entire appointment. Whether it should or it shouldn't, right? Because as you said, she very well might be the most qualified candidate for the job and an amazing jurist, but yeah, that, okay. Isaac, where are you on this? Um, it's a difficult, it's a difficult thing to, to, to put my finger on in all honesty. And for, for one reason is because I know that Biden wouldn't have said it unless somebody pushed him to say it. So like, I, I see Joe Biden as a bit of a, we're like, frustrated with Joe Biden over making this a difficult conversation to have, but in all reality, it's people like myself that probably pushed him in the first place to do it and are very happy that he's, he's serving as a puppet now saying the thing that we wanted him to say, which but is- But don't you think it was to win the election? Don't, I mean- It, it, it could have been to win to the election. It had to have black vote in South Carolina to stop Bernie. It could, it could have very well been to win the black vote, but if he does not pay up, if he if he doesn't pay what he owes, um, to quote the boondocks, like he he will find himself 
in a world of trouble, given the, the list of things he hasn't paid for already. Um, the people are like at some point, at some point, the swing votes he he got, the the left votes he got, even the center left votes that he got, like the the moderate votes that he got. People are gonna people are gonna start tallying things up and and checking out. Um, and so I think that he's done. I think he's done whatever candidate um, gets picked a disservice to some degree. But I also think so. That's like the one side of the conversation. Um, that is like okay, yeah, this person is gonna have to live with that. Then there's the other side of the conversation that like would a black woman have been picked otherwise? Mm. Like unless unless you forced the issue mm. of like okay. Like in the entire history of the court, we've picked a great many other type, a great many other number of people, like white men being the first and, and the longest running and the, the greatest number of Supreme Court picks. Like, would we have picked the black woman unless we said it from the jump as if it was a promise? Like, would, would we have done it as a country? And up until now, until we forced the issue, no, we, we didn't do it. We wouldn't have done it anyway. We wouldn't have done it. Um, so and so, well, I, I want to juxtapose this with having the first black woman vice president. He didn't mm -hmm. make any kind of guarantee to that, right? But clearly, when you're picking a vice president, uh, you know, you're giving a, a wink and a nod to certain voting blocks. Like for Mike Pence, it was the evangelicals, right? Was Mike mm -hmm. Pence the most qualified person to, to hold the vice presidency? Uh, you know, probably not. At the time, was Kamala Harris the the most qualified candidate? Joe Biden couldn't have could have chosen to be the vice president. No, he did it. You know, for for reasons that benefited him in the election. But he also didn't announce that, right? He didn't give the platform of saying I'm going to pick a woman of color and then automatically open her up to you know the criticisms of you didn't earn this. You were just you know you were. I he did. I thought he did say that. Uh, I'm pretty sure he did. Never explicitly said it, but. What, what I'm saying here, this is, you know, a bit of an unforced error. I mean, maybe Isaac's right. Maybe if he hadn't explicitly said it, it wouldn't have happened. But I feel like it was it was almost, you know, a unspoken consensus that the next, especially after the past couple of years, that the next Democratic president, when he had a chance, would uh, nominate a woman of color. Right. I, I don't think he needed to come out and say it like that. And, and you know, it's just a very big unforced error, in, in my opinion. Not even it won't even affect him as much as it'll it'll dog whoever this whoever this uh, juror is who who ends up being on the court because she's the one that's going to have to you know for the next thirty years or however long she serves uh, deal with these questions of you know you were just a uh, you know you were a fulfillment of a promise you weren't the most qualified judge so I, I think he could have but you could argue the same for Gorsuch or like like it's for a different reason right mm -hmm. you are you're fulfilling this role. You might not be the best jurist, but you were going to overturn Roe. Um, one question I do have is, do we think this list of women is kept in a binder? No. Like, do we think it, there's a binder full of black women that could go on the court? I think there's a binder full of judges that already serve and Romney some of them Trump. are black. Gosh, you guys are so uh, young. You guys are so young. To, so Isaac, um, I, I, I do not- Two mean, things though. The, yeah. the one on the one hand, apparent. So I was already doing work on, on my computer, so I googled it. Apparently, Joe Biden did promise to pick a woman. It wasn't a black woman as a VP, but he uh, did promise woman. to pick a woman. So it's Klobuchar, 
Kamala, mm -hmm. um, the mayor of the governor of Georgia, Stacey Abrams. Those were the three, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And yep. Hillary. And, yep. Those, uh, yeah, I think so. But um, so like he did say that, that's number one. Number two, I think that us having the conversation about a Supreme Court ju justice being the most qualified may be missing the mark. I, I, and I, maybe I'm missing the mark in participating in that as the, as the like focal point when I don't think Supreme Court justices are actually need to be picked based on who has the highest qualifications. Mm -hmm. The simple fact of the matter is a lot of people, I think a lot of Supreme Court justices get picked or at least conversations about Supreme Court justices are around what role they will play in either balancing, throwing the balance in one direction over the other, um, their views on particular types of issues. And so they, they may be very staunch on a type of issue and the, the country is, has been having in a given point in time, like that conversation recently, or a president wanting to throw the whole dang thing out or, or stack it in one way or another. It's more of a, it's more of a, what can putting this person on the bench do for the country or for my party or for myself, then I think it is a matter of this person being the most qualified. Now, do they need to be extraordinarily qualified? Yes, they do. They do. The, one of the, the rising stars on this five person list of Supreme Court justices is, is like moving up very quickly. But the fact is she went, she went to like the University of Southern California, Southern Carolina Law School. And for that reason alone, I think the New York Times was making jokes about it this morning, like not really being in the running, but like having, like having a bib, but not really having her shoes on, like something, something to that effect. Um, and which case, it's not really a conversation. Like the, they're incredibly qualified. They're already doing, a lot of them are already doing the job. Um, or at least doing the jobs that other others before them were doing prior to them getting their seat, like earning their seat on the bench. So I don't necessarily know if this super qualified conversation is the right one to have, one. But two, there's also the fact of the matter, maybe three, there's also the fact of the matter that like as a very large context in the country, women are like getting significantly beyond men in terms of their educational like uh, attainment. And they're also more of the work, like the labor force. This is not like the leadership may be male and older and white, but the 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 quality, like the the skilled talent, the skilled labor that is running the country and organizing the country on a, on a number of different fronts is women is like very much the women. Let's not let's not even debate that. But uh, I, I'll get to you guys in a second. So I, I do want to say those are my things. Uh, I, I think you make really interesting points. Um, you know, I, I think of this logically that the best person should get the job. But at the same time, half the Supreme Court should be women. Like, full stop. Um, not because they're women, but we need to have a system in which women are equal to men and work their way up to be the top jurists. Um, I don't see any barrier between, I, honestly, I see it for men, right? I think, I think we're the ones in trouble once there's parity because I think women are better than us. Um, and I, I, I can't not say that, you know, obviously I don't want to put you in a tough position here, Isaac, you know, I can't imagine what it would be like for your mom 
or if you have a sister or, you know, if, if your wife-to-be is also African-American, right, to see a Black woman on the court. I mean, that, that's a powerful moment. I want to live in a time where it's not. Right? And maybe we got to get there to, to get there. But it's like, uh, I, I hope that, you know, your daughter and, and my daughter, you know, daughter-to-be in the future, I'm making a prediction, Isaac, um, will look at, leaders in corporate America, in government, in the world, or at least in America, and it won't be like, ooh, look at that outlier, right? And, and so um, if this is the first Black woman member of the court, and it looks like it will be, I hope it's the last one that is saddled with the burden of being a Black woman while on the court. And just the next hundred or whatever, well, I don't know if America's going to last that long, but the next few will be because they're amazing jurists and amazing jurists alone. Uh, ben and then Andrew. Yeah, I think uh, the point Isaac was making about not needing to be the most qualified, I think that absolutely rings true. But I think the one caveat in this particular instance is Joe Biden didn't throw out any kind of ideological criteria that he was looking for, right? If he had come out and said, I'm looking for the biggest proponent of, of you know, the, uh, the Affordable Care Act, right? And who's ever been the biggest defender of that on the bench? He didn't. The only criteria he laid out was a woman of color, right? And I think, you know, all he had to do, it was a softball. All he had to do was, was, was lay out some kind of judicial, uh, you know, criteria that he was looking for. And instead, he, he, he only went with something based off of uh, race and gender. So I just think this whole, you know, he could have really avoided uh, saddling this eventual justice with, uh, you know, the questions that are inevitably going to come up uh, from some people about whether or not they were truly qualified. He really could have put the kibosh on that had he had he not, you know, just made a big proclamation about it. But I mean, he did. And, and we are where we are. Uh, I don't think it will affect the nominee in any way. I, I think we'll get through smooth sailing. And like you said, Terry, hopefully it's the last person who, you know, was saddled with the, the burden of, of being, you know, someone who... Well, look, the first openly gay jurist on the Supreme Court, the first openly trans jurist, the first, you know, we, th there's going to be a lot more firsts, but I agree with you. I, I, I hope you're right, Ben, that, that, that this is one of the last firsts that we got to worry about. And we can move past this sort of balkanization of our people and just be one. Uh, Andrew, you, 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 you wanted to say something. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was just, I guess, close off with a couple of things and to agree with everybody here. Yeah, you know, I do, I do hope it's, it's the same first. And, you know, like I was saying earlier, when I, when I first brought up the point, I'm not sure, you know, how my, you know, fellow, my, my rest of my mom's side of the family would, would think about this. You know, there's a lot of things, you know, I, I want to do, but I, what I, I don't want to be seen as you know as the first mixed race person you know serving or doing or, or doing something i want to be chosen because because of my qual because of my quali qualifications right that that's the that's the me that, that that i mean that i guess that that's just me i don't want to be i guess in any decision you know whether it be me going to college or, or getting getting a job or some sort yes you know make it just because of, of my of my merits i don't want it because you know this is a an extremely white state and you know we need at least someone 
to be a, a Hispanic individual, a mixed race individual who, 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 who needs to serve. So let's say, you know, one day I've ever decided to get a position here in state government or run, run for office. I don't think I would uh, portray, you know, my huge Hispanic uh, values because yes, I think they're important and I'm proud of them, but I want people to vote for me not because be, because I think I can do the job, not not be, not to make not to make not to make you know a, a white person feel good because they voted for someone who has some some minority um, status. Well, it's good to know you're going to run for office. Maybe I'd like maybe. to hear that. Um, now, here's what I will say though when thinking of the court, right? We are guaranteed a right to a jury of our peers, right? That doesn't mean our jury has to look just like us, right? It doesn't, but it means they should live a similar life to us or in a similar place to us. And so it is important to have diversity in the court because sadly, and we can argue about why and how and all that on another time. There is a different life for a woman than, than a man in America. There is a different life for a poor person than a rich person or a white person and a black person or an Asian person and a Hispanic person or a mixed race person. Um, and so given there's no jury in the Supreme Court, right, the Supreme Court is the jury. I do think that looking to diversity as one of the factors of deciding might, might make sense. Much like universities argue, well, we need a diverse student body. Um, but I think we've, we might wanna save that conversation for the next time we meet. Um, you know, I really appreciate all of your conversation. Sean had to had to to leave us earlier, um, but I appreciate your candor, your honesty, and your respect for each other. And all of us, whether we agree or disagree, clearly want what we think's best for people. And um, you know, I'm not sure I would say the same for our leaders, but I'd like to someday. And that's why we all bust our ass to, to, to work on voting smarter. That's why we built, you know, candidate or candidate matchmaker in the iOS store. That's why we're building Vote Plus to match you with the companies that share your values so you can maximize your impact, right? So you can change the world one purchase and one vote at a time. And, and I, I hope you guys, um, Take everything we said here, uh, listen, those of you listening, uh, for what it is, an honest exploration of each other's positions and trying to see where there's common ground and where we might be wrong. That's why I like this, is because I wanna see where I'm wrong or might be wrong. So uh, again, Isaac, Andrew, Ben, thank you for tonight. Um, Thank you for, if you're still with us, thanks for staying this whole time. And uh, we will, you know, keep, keep coming back here to Spotify and look for Pocket Politics. We're going to keep having tough, interesting, heartfelt conversations about public policy and politics. Um, take care, guys. I really appreciate 
all of you and your and your points of view. You've been listening to Pocket Politics from Voting Smarter. Please follow us on Instagram at, at @votingsmarter and check us out online at www.votingsmarter.org.